Welcome everybody to Podcast of the Week for December 7th, 2018. Today is Smash Brothers Day. I played a great deal of this game today, probably more than I probably should have. I don't know, who knows. Today we are talking about Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, the second film in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and believe it or not, I recorded this in April. So <laughs> there is a lot of talk about Ready Player One, because I saw that film at the time, liked it, and obviously saw the need to defend it. I don't know. So if you want to hear a lot of talk about Lord of the Rings, and of course, plentiful talk about Steven Spielberg's modern classic, Ready Player One. Would I call it a modern classic? Probably not. It's very good, though. Uh, this podcast is for you. I hope you're well. I hope you're having a fine, wonderful, festive period. I'm listening to Christmas songs more than I should, which is what December is for. I do have a strict December-only Christmas song rule, so that is in effect. It's really an arbitrary thing. It's like, I shall not listen to Christmas songs any other time than December. It's not like uh, a, a, a Grinch-like attitude where I'm like, I don't want to hear any of that until after the, the, the holiday, Thanksgiving or whatever, the, the Halloween. Uh, I'm just like, December. December is Christmas song time. And it's been like that for like a decade. I'm weird. That's fine. James was kind enough to return to talk to me about Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, and you can hear that right now. Welcome back to Podcast of the Week, the second film in the Lord of the Rings cinematic universe. Oh god, that just sounds dirty. It just sounds wrong, doesn't it? There's a, there's six films in a TV show, it's technically a cinematic universe. But is the Lord of the Rings The Two Towers released in the year 2002 when I was a wee ten-year-old? God. I just had a, James, I just had like a moment there. <laughs> so what was it for Fellowship? 17 years last yeah. year and for Two Towers it's one. 16. 16. Okay. Yeah. Well. Clearly just reliving my childhood over and over again, not like experiencing anything new. Did you see Ready Player One? Uh, I did not. I'm probably going to go see it tomorrow and I'm actually really excited for it. Yeah. The thing about that film is like the idea of just reliving your childhood. And yeah, that's basically me. I'm just stuck here watching The Lord of the Rings (laughs) on an endless loop. Just any Lord of the Rings references in Ready Player One is it just like pure 80s nostalgia like? You said like Warner Brothers has Lord of the Rings rights, doesn't it? I they produced The Hobbit, didn't they? I think so. If if they if there is one I missed it, but there's like scenes in that film where there's like a thousand characters marching on one another and there's like fifteen hundred references you're just gonna miss. Oh, I've seen it like or the Orange Giant fighting Freddy Krueger and it was kinda like what? Yeah, there's just, a, there's just a scene where you see, like, Robocop just walking through the frame, and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> hey, I know that character. It's a guy like Ready Player One, though. It's a good film. Though we're not here to talk about Ready Player One. So, Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, the follow-up, the, the middle the middle child, which... I suppose, thinking about middle children, like, if you consider, like, the Avengers as a trilogy, you know, Age of Ultron is a mediocre middle child, but then the original Star Wars trilogy had a very good middle child. So, like, the middle child of a franchise is relatively inconsistent, isn't it? Can be. I think Empire Strikes Back really kind of set the bar for, for the middle film of every trilogy going forward. It has to be more ambitious and grander and darker and kind of complex. Mm. Um, I will go with the Baffa Age of Ultron, though. I think it's great. Mm. 
I don't know. I, th- I think Age of Ultron is going to be one of those films that in a couple of years we'll go back and kind of revise it the way we have with the first Avenger. Hey, I always liked the first Avenger. I, I, I'm, I'm on the right side of history there. <laughs> so the, the two towers, I suppose it does it does take that box of being like darker and more mature. But, but it's like the natural progression of the, the trilogy is to move toward being kind of darker and bleaker and, you know, all hope is lost. What was me, Mordor and Isengard are going to kill everybody because... Spoilers, those are the two towers. I didn't get that until, like, the third time I watched this film. It's like, oh, those are the two towers. Sorry, did you? where did you think the name came from? I didn't think a lot about it, James. I'm sorry. <laughs> There's something to be said for, as, as dark as the two towers can be at times, it's also probably the most fun mm. of the trilogy. It's because it goes, the, the, the Fellowship is very grounded, it's very... Here are our, whatever, eight, nine characters that are central to the film. And then they're just like, let's blow up this entire universe. We have Rohan, and we have Gondor, and we have Osgiliath, and we have Helm's Deep, and we have Isengard, and Mordor, and all these fun places. Yeah, we have, we have so many new characters. I mean, Gollum's introduced probably for the first time. We have uh, Theoden, we have Eowyn, Wormtongue as well. Great name. Yeah. Although very obviously evil character. <laughs> How does nobody go, hey, you're very obviously evil, get out. It's like Wormtongue, that's an evil name. Like you're, you're very pale, you're very suspicious looking and slimy. I don't <laughs> I don't think you're looking out for the best interests of Rohan here, buddy. And just no one goes, yeah, leave, we don't like you. We start this film on Frodo. This is, what do you think, we'll talk, probably talk more about this in Return of the King, but what do you think of the Frodo Sam stuff? I think there's less focus on the Hobbits in this film. Um, I think Peter Jackson kind of shifts things to the the more human characters like Aragorn is now more central, I think. But um, the the Sam stuff in particular, especially towards the end, is uh, is really great. Frodo's kind of meh. Because like Frodo, the, the arc of Frodo here is that he basically sees himself in Gollum and then takes pity on Gollum. Yeah. And then lashes out at Sam and Sam's like... This guy's just a jerk who wants to kill us and steal the ring. But then Frodo's <laughs> like, but he's me. Do you want to kill me, Sam? And that continues into uh, Return of the King as well. Mm, as the wedge is driven between them. I I don't know. Like I, I, Every time I watch these films, every like the, the Frodo and Sam scene, depending on the scenes, because we'll talk about the Sam scene at the end, which I think is one of like the best scenes in the entire the bloody trilogy. But... Just, I find myself just zoning out. It's like, I'll just check Twitter for a moment. <laughs> yeah, because with the Frodo and Sam stuff, they're mostly either sitting down, sleeping, or traveling from place to place. Not, there's not much action. There's not much... There's not even, like, much tension there. I know they, they try. It's like, who will they get caught? But it's just like, uh, it's just They're just there. They're just wandering, eating some bread. Yeah, that's that's the thing. I mean, they're sitting around, like, eating bread, making stew and stuff. Like, at the start, there's some tension with Gollum coming into the frame. And then it's kind of comedic a bit after that. Uh, did you watch the extended cut or the film cut? Uh, I put myself through both. <laughs> oh, you, look, look at you. You're doing more than I do. Yeah. I just watched the, the regular cut of the film. I didn't even like bring myself to watch the extended cut. The extended cut is my preferred version of this. Like I hadn't watched the theatrical cut for a good couple of years, and I'm surprised by how thin it is compared to the extended cut. Mm, you see the big like the big difference between the theatrical and the standard cut here is as opposed to just adding like random little bits and pieces there's like the whole subplot involving denethor and boromir and faramir which is great actually and, and peter jackson himself said that he, he regrets having to cut it from the theatrical cut yeah just cut some of the, the hobbit stuff and put that back in we don't need more freaking sam and frodo wandering just 
it does it does a disservice to Faramir. I think it does a disservice and even to Baromir, even like Baromir's not in like the Two Towers theatrical cut or the Return of the King. But I think it deepens the, the motivations of Baromir from the last film and makes him a more like well rounded character. And when you take it out, it does I, I think the film still works, but you you do lose some of the subtext and background and some some of the stuff that makes the characters pop a little more. Well, that's the thing. It shows us like Boromir before he was corrupted by the ring, and it shows us Faramir kind of like when we first meet Faramir in Two Towers, he's kind of real closed off, and we kind of think him as as a bad guy. But um, and he, and even with the father Denethor, it shows why Boromir was kind of sent on the journey instead of Faramir and stuff. And now that Denethor kind of favored one over the other and drove them drove a wedge between them, and that. Fulfill or like like drives their motivations and ah, uh, it's it's good stuff. It shouldn't have been left out. Damn we it, also Peter get, Jackson. We also get that scene where um, Faramir is, is like standing at the edge of a lake and Boromir's corpse uh, comes by in uh, in the longbow, and that's how he discovers that uh, his, his brother is dead. Yeah, rather than just yeah, if you watch the theatrical cuts, you saw Boromir fall off a waterfall, and then they're like, oh yeah, he's dead. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm surprised his body stayed in the boat. Like, how did it not fall out? Don't you question it? It's, it's magic. It's, it's, <laughs> it's Gondor magic. They know what they're doing. Interestingly enough, as well, uh, Faramir in the Two Towers book, he actually isn't that complicated, and he actually he doesn't like kidnap the hobbits or anything. He helps them from the get go. Mm. So he kind of had to tweak his character just a little bit to give him sort of an arc throughout the film and give him some conflict and give him some like character growth. Yeah. And I think this, I think Two Towers has the most changes from its book than any any of the other two. Couldn't tell you. I didn't get. I didn't finish it as I said last time. Halfway yeah, through the Two Towers is when I tapped out. Yeah, I, th- I think even the way Two Towers is structured, the book follows Frodo and Sam completely to the end of their journey in Two Towers, and then the second half switches over to Aragorn and Legolas and stuff. So what you're saying is I should have just skipped the first half of the book. And gone straight to the second half, yes. <laughs> that would have been a much better idea. We were, mentioning, uh, we were mentioning the CGI last time as well, and I must say, none of the CGI... Uh, I, know, I, I know I didn't notice any of it in the first film. Straight away in the second film, that that fight with the, whatchamacallit, Balrog, that, that didn't age so well, did it? <laughs> no, see, I think there's less of it in the first film. Cause, but... Yeah. He's, he just stands there in the first film and falls off the bridge, but particularly the falling sequence is just like... Ooh. Yeah, when he's riding atop the Balrog, and you, and you can clearly see he's obviously on like a stump somewhere with like a CGI screen, like a green screen behind him. But I will say, it's still the best opening scene in the entire trilogy. It's Yeah, and again, it's that little sense of confidence where like the opening minute, 90 seconds of this film is just panning across like a, a cold, snowy mountain as you hear like the grunts of Gandalf being like, Aah! and then slowly they pan into that scene where he, you shall not pass as the bridge. But again, it's just like the most films would start on a big moment of uh, crash and, and I suppose they technically do because it's a big sword fight between a monster and a wizard but they, they, they lean into that and they just take that little moment to get there it's, uh, I, I love the filmmaking in these films but even the way the score kind of it ratchets, it ratchets up as the fight continues and then you come out into this joint kind of chasm and uh, the, the cinematography in it is just brilliant but like that, that's how you open a blockbuster film 
Yeah, I will say I, I was mocking the CGI, but yeah, when they're while they're falling, like toward the end of the period where they're falling, they cut to this very wide shot where you just see yeah. them in the distance fall, and it's a, as you said, it's like a cavern in the water below them, and it's it's very pretty. That's an awesome shot. That's one of my favorite shots in the series. If I if I remember in the books, doesn't he fight the Balrog for like a week? <laughs> I can't remember if he did the length of the battle. Um, I'm pretty sure it's like, oh, and they fought across Moria for a week until they he finally just died. Well, I, I think it took them like what was it, three or four days in Fellowship to cross from one side to the other, and even then, I think they were only like halfway through. Like, I did like, yeah, I, the, the, the scale, like the t- time in this film is strange because technically, isn't technically the Battle of Helm's Deep five days long in this film? Yeah, it's, it's a couple of days long, and. and in the film, it seems as if it's like take place over one night. Yeah, it's just a single night, and Gandalf's like, oh, "I'll show up." Yeah, <laughs> don't worry, guys. If everyone dies, there's a cut of this film where he just shows up and everyone's dead. It's like, oh, yeah. oops, too late. <laughs> so we we can't talk, we can't talk about this film without talking about Andy Serkis because this was not only like the breakout role for him; it was the breakout role breakout role for like motion capture technology in general. Yeah, I'm not sure whether Serkis had been in anything before this. Or, you know, or what his even his background in regards to the motion capture and stuff was, mm. but they, this this was his first big break and like his performance capture work as Gollum, it kind of it invented sort of a new language in terms of of how we develop characters on screen in CGI. And he's I think he's only gone on to improve it because I think his work in the Planet of the Apes films is even better. But that's how good he is. Is that you, in Planet of the Apes you have like apes riding horses on like with machine guns dual wielding and and it doesn't kind of compute you just see it as something serious and, and it brings you in and there's so much weight to it that should be that should be an utterly ridiculous scene when the the freaking apes ride in on horses shooting each other with machine guns and it's just like oh yeah that's this this is this film like physically that should not work <laughs> no even like but, from a a a visual standpoint you should just like that's not how things work <laughs> But it's just testament to how how much the technology has improved, but also Andy Serkis as a performer, hmm. that he can give such depth and weight to an animated character that we don't kind of realize that we're, what we're watching is computer generated. Yeah, because he he doesn't do he is technically in Fellowship, but he doesn't do a ton. I'm not I'm not even sure. Did he do this performance capture for Fellowship? I'm not sure. In, I see, in I the see, little bit that we see, I see because yeah, it looks more CGI in Fellowship, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I, I assume he did the voice, which is pro- he is credited for Fellowship anyway. So, well, I, I, I don't think he's been properly credited though in in the acting world. He hasn't received any awards or proper recognition for. It. Do you think we ever reach the stage where that kind of stuff gets nominated? Because, like, if you say it's harder than regular acting. <laughs> well, it's 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 like people always have have the arguments in regards to voice acting when they talk about say like who's the greatest Joker of all time, Heath Ledger or say Mark Hamill. It's difficult to compare a physical performance with like a, a vocal performance. It's clearly Jack Nicholson as well. Um, I'd lean towards Hamill, but, but I recently re- rewatched Burton's first Batman film, and Nicholson is immensely good. He's really great good. fun. That film is super underrated because, like, the, I know that I like the, I like the Schumacher films, but I will freely accept they are utterly ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> but I, f- I feel no. like people judge that era of Batman on the Schumacher films as opposed to the Burton films, and the Burton films yeah. are really good. I, I I think the first Batman film is is the best. I think it's better than the Dark Knight. I think it captures the character, the essence of the character, better, even though it's in a kind of a, like a ridiculous gothic sort of Gotham. 
but that 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 ridiculous gothic gotham is i think it's like the iconic one at this stage isn't it yeah yeah and it, and it was all done with like map paintings and sets and stuff and you have the danny elfman theme song as well which is as which iconic is, as you get uh, elfman is so good like his his work is as well the coward chart is very uh underrated mm. you should have andy circus play the joker that'd be awesome <laughs> he'd do it rather well because yeah there's snoke and star wars and oh cause he was, have you seen the tintin film the spielberg one I haven't. It's on my list. I, I remember when it came out, we got some really average reviews and a lot of people didn't like it, but I've seen recently people are starting to go back to it and talk about how awesome it is in the chase scenes and everything. I really like that. Fair enough. I'm an utter, utter mark for Spielberg. Like, I love him. He's the, oh, so, so am I. He's the literal best. But, oh, I really like that film and he's good in that film too, so. It wasn't Peter Jackson involved with Tintin as well. Yeah, he was the producer, and I think they're, like they're making a second one, and I think they're flipping producer-director roles. So Jackson is directing the next one, Spielberg's producing. Yeah, I've seen like news articles for, from some film site recently. It was like Spielberg threatens Tintin sequel. <laughs> he threatens the sequel. Go, that's that's just mean. It's a good film. Leave it alone. But yeah, they've that, like the first one was released in 2011, and it's kind of been in like developmental hell for a while hmm. and yeah I, I, i'm looking forward to it i really like the first one I, I still don't think we appreciate spielberg uh as much as we should especially with the, the whole stuff around ready player one people are kind of like doubting that spielberg would deliver and it's I, kind of like come on by the, by the time you hear this like the black panther episode will be out but like i i insisted like uh, fair enough if you watch the trailers for ready player one it's references all those trailers are, are references. Well, so, so is the source material. Yeah, but like, it's Steven Spielberg. Do you think mm. Steven Spielberg is just going to make a film filled with references? And he does make a film that is filled with references, but it has a lot more than the references. It's a really, I really like that film, actually. It's a really but it must, be, it must be weird for him, though, because he was so, so responsible for so much of the, the pop culture of the 80s, and now he's kind of referenced it in a, in a film indebted to the 80s I, th- I think the most interesting part of the references of that film is that the structure and core of the film is a reference to his own filmmaking like, yeah it's, it's weird it's spielberg going back to those jurassic park uh, et kind of uh, family adventure films that people loved and bringing that that kind of style and that kind of warmth back to it so like it's a film packed with references to Iron Giant and Robocop, but then it's also a film that references Spielberg's own work. It's it's a oh, it's a really interesting film, and I think it's a really good one. I, I cannot wait to see this now. <laughs> but it's it's not it's not the Lord of the Rings, the Two Towers, unfortunately. <laughs> in in terms of our big arcs, we introduce Rohan with all the characters that come with Rohan and all the love triangles that come with Rohan. All all the love triangles. Oh, um. Eowyn. With Eowyn, with her, her, her blinking, blinking furiously at Aragorn at every stage. Yeah, she, she she doesn't really get much to do beyond, like, either look sad or look shocked. Or just deeply fallen. She's, have you seen um, Les Mis? Oh, the um, the musical? Yeah. We, no, I haven't. Or someone fall, two people fall in love when they literally see each, say, they see each other once in the film. Or, well, I'm not even sure. I've seen the musical as well, but I don't remember it. Um, but they fall in love instantly. This is that, where she's just like, Aragorn, you say? I will follow you to the end of time. I'm deeply in love with you. <laughs> I, I don't think I've seen... Uh, I don't think I've seen her in anything else. I think her name's Miranda Otto. Yeah. Let's see what she's been in. War of the Worlds? She was in War of the Worlds. Oh, I think War of the Worlds. That was actually on the other night. She plays Tom Cruise's like, ex-wife. 
Yeah, she's an I Frankenstein. She was in Homeland and the 24 reboot. I, th- I think it's only her and Liv Tyler that have the only female, or at least major female roles in the film. Uh, well, Kate Blanchett shows up for a little while. Uh, apart from Kate Blanchett. She just put, but she's only in it for like two minutes. Yeah. There's no women in Middle Earth. No, that's like that's one criticism you can throw at the film is that they could have like gender reversed some roles or written some stuff in. But then you go and look at the Hobbit and the way they I can't even remember the name of the character that they wrote in for the Hobbit. The mm. elf. I can't think of the name of the actress. That was awful. Yeah. Realistically, it's Tolkien's fault, not Peter Jackson. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there is there any like female characters they could have included but didn't? I don't know. I haven't read the books. Not really, no. So Tolkien, yeah, it's, it's Tolkien it hated with. <laughs> but as I said, they, they could have gender reversed the character and had, uh, say, a woman play Legolas or, or whatever, like, which I'm, I'm hoping they'll do with the Amazon series. Or just introduce female characters just in general. Because even, like, the Shadow of Mordor, does that have a ton of female characters? Um, has Shelob the Spider transformed into, like, a sexy woman? Oh, no, no, guys, come on. <laughs> which is, I don't even know what the reasoning behind that is. Um, but apart from that, I think the the first game has like maybe two female characters, and even then, they're not really well developed at all. Like, but yeah, they, they can take liberties because they're literally taking liberties. They're inventing Lord of the Rings lore. But well, that's a, that's the thing. It's supposed to be canon, but the the mess with it so much which that I, it's really not. I'm perfectly fine with. Like, like, there's a backlash. We're going back to Ready Player One a lot. But there, <laughs> there's a backlash against Ready Player One because oh, they use the Iron Giant in a way that's not true to the, the to like its its origin in the, the the film. Which one? That film was based on an adaptation of a book, which they changed significantly. So you can't claim that they, uh, you can't claim that you love the film, but then fight people who change characters down the line. That's just being hypocritical. And two, it's uh, within the 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 logic of the film. It's not the actual Iron Giant. So stop it. And doesn't he have like a, a like a machine gun or something in the film? Of course, of course. They're they're going to war. The Iron Giant needs needs to go to war. Wasn't the Iron Giant like a pacifist? <laughs> sure, but I think if the world was threatened, the Iron Giant would do something about it. <laughs> that was actually Evan Diesel as well, who, as you mentioned in the first cast, auditioned for uh, the role of Aragon. I still want to see that film. Uh, apparently, Peter Jackson, I read an interview with him recently, and he talked about that, and he said Vin Diesel blew him away, but it was just a totally uh, different interpretation of the character to what he wanted. What, he was like, you have to have hair, but I'm sorry. You just need the hair. <laughs> So a lot of like some of the characters like Christopher Lee takes a very big backseat in this film. He just literally pops up the stair every like the thirty minutes or so. Yeah, I don't think he leaves the tower. He just comes out to the bal- balcony every once in a while. I don't think he utters a word of dialogue in this film. No, no, he does. Um, but I think it's in like one scene. Because like there's the scene where he's banishing the spirit from Theoden, which I think is technically. I'm not clear on this, but I think that's technically just Saruman, is it? As as the uh, the spirit. Yeah. Yeah. So th- those are technically Saruman lines, I guess. Mm. <laughs> I never, I, I've seen Carl Urban and other things, but I was like, wait, he's Amir? Seriously. <laughs> I like, like seriously, I've seen him in Star Trek. I've seen him in the Bourne films. And I'm just like, oh yeah, that's that, that that's Keith Urban. And then I was on his Wikipedia one day. It's like. Wait a minute! <laughs> I know that guy. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I, I think he's an Australian actor. So I, before this, I, I'm assuming he would have been on the likes of Home and Away and stuff like. Mm. 
He's really he's, he's a really underrated actor as well. He's very like, I really like him in Star Wars or not Star Wars the other one Star Trek. Star films. Trek, yeah, and uh, Dread as well. Oh, Dread. Dread I, is really, I, really good. I I I, I, mm, I thought Dread was fine. I think Dread is better than the Raid, and they have kind of like similar plots. You see, the reason I didn't like the Raid is because I watch pro wrestling. <laughs> Well, and not realistic enough or too realistic well like the idea of the the raid is like it's a series of really like elaborate choreographed stunts and i'm just like yeah but i watch pro wrestling every week and they do that live and it's probably better yeah no i, th- I think the, with the raid i, I kind of don't get the hype it's just like the scenes go on far too long it's apparently uh, the second one is even longer isn't it yeah, I, I watched the second one. It's nearly three hours long. That is unnecessary. Like the but in fairness to it, it has an actual story to it, and it's slightly better than the first. Because you can you can make a reasonable case for the Lord of the Rings: The Two Towers being three hours long. It's a very big book. I don't think you can make that case for the Raid. I don't know. Is Two Towers a little longer than Fellowship? I think yeah, the Two Towers is 179 minutes. I think Fellowship is slightly shorter. Uh, 178. It's a whole one minute shorter. No. <laughs> so yeah, we get an extra minute of Lord of the Rings in the two towers. Clearly, why this is the superior film. Well, I think, I think the extended editions are about the same as all. Well, yeah, they just add an hour. Just throw an hour on. Who doesn't? Who doesn't need time in their day? <laughs> I don't. I still prefer watching the extended edition of Two Towers. It's just, it just adds so much more to the film. Hmm. I def- okay. I I prefer I prefer the Two Towers in general. For the simple reason, and like every time I watch this film, I'm like, this is a good film, but why do I love it? And then that Sam speech at the end just ties <laughs> this whole film together. And like, we're living in a, an era of uncertainty right now. You know, we're living living at a time where there's kind of Nazis around every now and again. And, you know, the, the world is uncertain. There's a certain amount of chaos. And then you watch this film and Sam gives this big speech about how no matter how dark the, the, the night, no matter how horrible things are, there's always hope and there's always a better tomorrow. And we have to fight for that better tomorrow. And you're like, God, that's a good speech. <laughs> Even Gollum, Gollum's face is kind of like, shit, he has a point. Yeah, Gollum's just like, oh god, what am I doing with my life? And uh, Faramir is just like, oh no, what have I done? (laughs) And the score is just literally, it's amazing. It's amazing. And you're just just crying and you're like, yes, there is hope in the world, Sam. Thank you. Well, that's the end of the scenes of uh, the the Ents taking down Isengard as well in between the speech. Yeah, and there's there's the big Helm's Deep. People are forget that's when they're like the victory scene in Helm's Deep happens, and you're like, oh, there is hope, and the the, the trees are revolting, and everyone's happy. And there's there's uh, you know, and I, I do like that the the three films in this series, which they're based on three gigantic books, so you'd hope so. But like there there are three distinct stories. There's like the rise and fall of the Fellowship. This one's the rise and fall of Isengard, and then the next one's the rise and fall of Mordor. So that's like there's there's three very distinct like like chapters they're they're not you know fair enough that the overall arcing story is get the ring to mount doom but they they all have their individual stories that that they have closure on at the end of yeah i i, I think two towers is also the rise and fall of king Tieden. Mm. well the fall and the rise actually and then the rise of aragon into kind of more of a kingly sort of position Theoden's an interesting character Bernard Hill uh, betrays him in this, and he's fantastic in the extended edition. The, the theatrical cut does, does not do him justice at all. Because in the theatrical cut, he obviously starts as like corrupted, but when he when he comes back, he's like, "God damn it, my son's dead! I'm going to march my 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 entire 
my entire city or, or kingdom or whatever gone or rohan technically is to to this one fort and we're gonna fight to the doom and then he's like yeah we're gonna fight we're gonna fight and we're gonna win but then when stuff starts going badly it's like all hope is lost we <laughs> might as well just kill ourselves and Aragorn's like you know we might actually you know we can try and he's like no like he's, he's a very shakespearean uh, kind of king like really over the top but in, in the book, he's actually more positive. And did you ever see the, the scene where Aragorn asks asks him to ride, ride out with me? Yeah. It's actually Tyrion in the books, in the book who comes up with that idea instead. So you're saying Peter Jackson just ruined poor Tyrion, took all his moments and gave him to Aragorn. Yeah. So regularly he's the Roman reigns of the... <laughs> look, look, I think he, he gives, Bernard Hill gives the best performance in this film in the extended cut again. But and the theatrical cut just kind of leaves him a bit tin. Because he's the only one that's called on to do any real, like, substantive action, uh, acting. Him and Sam, I suppose. There's, uh, there's actually a great behind-the-scenes behind thing when uh, Aragon, Viggo Mortensen, and uh, Teed and Bernard Hill are arg- arguing on top of Helm Steep on the wall about calling for help for Gondor. Mm. And uh, Bernard Hill is getting, like, really into it, really intense. And Viggo Mortensen, just out of nowhere, like, plants a big kiss on him. <laughs> and it just, it just kills the mood entirely. <laughs> Way to ruin the dramatic tension, Vigo. And of course, we we have to fight at Helm's Deep, which is just... It's just... Oh. That still holds up incredibly well. It really does. Like, for, you have the bromance between Gimli and Legolas at this stage, which uh, I think is better in this film than it is in the next one. I enjoy it in the next one, but it feels fresher and more interesting and less kind of overdone in this one. Yeah, because in the next one, they kind of just retread the whole... Um when they're in battle oh i killed 17 you killed two i'm on tour you know and stuff and again the the little bits of comedy like gimli being like throw me <laughs> but don't yeah, tell him yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have to throw me just don't tell him about it it's like it's, it's it's not hammy it's not it doesn't feel untrue to the character it doesn't feel like they're just throwing in jokes because you know they focus tested the film it's like oh we need some punch up in there it's it, it uh, like everything in these films feels so like uh, assured every like Everything has that right touch, that right confidence to it. That they, this is like Peter Jackson's vision for this trilogy is just mind blowing. Yeah, well, as we said in the last podcast, it's a miracle that it was successful in any sense, and that it was successful to this extent in nearly every department. This is mental. Mm. And like, I, I, I'm so happy that Gollum CGI holds up entirely, like entirely. Oh, I would say entirely. I think there's some scenes where you can sort of the background kind of looks weird when matched up with Gollum, but apart from that, like it's near flawless. I think I think that's the. I think they probably did reshoots or something in a green screen. So like anytime, yeah. anytime there's like a single shot, a single character in the frame with a background behind them, and it always looks a little wrong. Yeah, it looks a little bit off. Like I'd, I'd love for the say the 20th anniversary of all of these films that. Jackson goes back and kind of maybe retouches up the CGI a little bit. Mm. And I think, and yeah, don't, don't, don't freaking don't mess Lucas with anything it, else. <laughs> That's the only fear is that he will do everything. He'll tinker. Go remake the Hobbit trilogy. We're fine with that. <laughs> I, I, I like as this is my favorite of the trilogy. It, it comes down to that that moment of Sam just just with that wonderful score being like. Uh, it's it's very it's kind of similar to the first film where it should uh, well it shouldn't be an all like uh, there's there's like there's there's no like all hope is lost well there is but and then Gandalf comes marching down it actually that's my favorite thing about this film Gandalf times his march down the hill so that the sun pokes above the hill to blind the spears <laughs> the, the like he, he, did, the spe- he just did that to look badass and that hill is steep as hell yeah 
I'm surprised people just didn't fall off their horse marching down. <laughs> Slow it all the way down. That whole, like, that, if this film was a modern film, that whole dramatic tension wouldn't work because it's like, oh, j- just send him a text to come back. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be there in like two days. Yeah, his dad's not crazy anymore. And Gandalf can just fight. It's okay. <laughs> we, actually, we actually have to shout out to Amy Callum because Amy Callum is great again in this playing as kind of a subtly different Gandalf to yeah. the fellowship. He reminds me of, like, are you a Doctor Who guy? The new Doctor Who guy? Anything. Oh, um, am I a Doctor Who guy? I thought you were mentioning like the new Doctor Who. No, um, I was from my Smith's run, and then I kind of went off it a little bit. Mm. But like you know, when there's a regeneration, the Doctor is the same but just kind of different. Yeah, there's some kind of tweaks to it, like. Or he's just like he's a different person, but he's the same person. That that's how I, I have like Gandalf feels here, where it's like I was Gandalf the Grey, wasn't I? Oh, that was fun, yeah. wasn't it? <laughs> But that's the thing, he moves from kind of like a grounded, smart wizard to now this kind of ethereal, wise, grand mage, like. And he has that awesome scene with Theoden where he just whips the cloak off. It's like, soak it in, Saruman. Uh, it's badass because he has the great cloak on at first and he does the spell and you know, Saruman's kind of like, you have no power here. And then he just whips it off and it's brilliant a big shine of light coming down even the scene before that i don't know who plays that that rohan guard who's like oh we need to take your staff and he's like you wouldn't take an old man's staff would you <laughs> and then he, he just kind of fidgets and uncomfortably looks at the ground it's such a good little piece of acting from that guy where he's just like <laughs> uncomfortable okay just walk in it's okay <laughs> i re- like I, uh, I i like i rewatch these films every year and they should get old you know they should that that final scene shouldn't have the same impact now 16 years after i saw it for the first time as as it did then and yet it does it's just you just watch it and it's just i love this film it is nearly perfect i prefer it to the other two films in the well the other technically five films in this uh little universe but uh, i love the two towers do you love the two towers more than the other films james no <laughs> I, like I'm, I'm not surprised. It's the most popular. Like it's more of a crowd pleaser than either of the other two. Mm. But um, I used like it used to be my favorite, and then I rewatched Fellowship maybe a couple of years ago, and Fellowship just really clicked with me. Mm. And I, I just love the pacing and the tightness of it a lot more. I do. I would say yeah, the first half of this film is looser. There's there's a lot of like running across cross country, a lot of hobbit scenes, and you're just I, like I I enjoy all the running across with like Aragorn, Legless, and Gimli like failing to keep up. Yeah, just bantering. It's it's good fun. Then you have you have lots of hobbits, and you have far too much hobbits. There there is a direct relationship between the amount of hobbits and the amount of attention I pay. To be honest, because <laughs> like there's parts of all the hobbit arcs that I really like, but then there's just a lot of stuff in there that I'm just like, all right, get to it, get to it. <laughs> Well, I, th- I think the Hobbit stuff in this is is weaker than either Fellowship or Return. Like, mm. like there's there's kind of not really any real stakes to it. Like, they're just yeah, Frodo and Sam are just wandering aimlessly. And but again, again, Sean Astin is brilliant. Yeah, and then Mary and Pippin are just sitting in a tree for the entire film. Yeah, it, it literally. I think it actually is more or less the entire film. <laughs> they're actually carried everywhere in the film. I don't think they walk for more than like two minutes. Oh yeah, because yeah, they're carried by the the orcs the, as well. The Urukai, so, yeah. So yeah, they just walk into the forest and then find another thing to sit on and walk around for a while. I think I think the CGI for Treebird doesn't hold up great. Yeah, it's a it's a little rickety. But um, at this at the same time, like a walk and talking like magical tree doesn't like break the immersion mm. at all. Like this is a universe with with evil rings and giant 
monsters. It's fine. But like a, a talking tree would be too much. <laughs> it's just, it ruins the entire fantasy of the universe. Well, there's a scene, isn't there a, like, a scene where Mary and Pippin get high in the extended edition? Are you on about the one where they're drinking from the fountain or where they're literally sitting outside like Isengard, like smoking pipes? The the one where they're drinking from the fountain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like, um, it has like powers that make you taller and stuff and yeah. they fight over it like. That's weird. And also like in, in the extended edition, there's, there's some like fun playfulness between Frodo and Sam at the start, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. I like I like that. Where it's just some levity, and Frodo's, and even at the end of the film, it makes him look like a big jerk in Return of the King. But he's just like, I wouldn't get anywhere without you, Sam. But also, I'm going to turn on you in the next film. <laughs> he's so paranoid. Like. Way to be a jerk about things, Frodo. But yeah, I really like this film. We're on to the the Return of the King next, which is, I I do remember seeing Return of the King in the cinema, and I I did get up for one of the false finishes. <laughs> Really? <laughs> yeah, you, you know, like one of the fade to whites. There's, there's three. Like the film is famous for having like six different endings, but one of the fade to whites. I'm like, oh yeah, oh well, no, there's more. <laughs> like I, I kind of did the same myself when Sam and Frodo are on the uh, one of the rocks and it fades to black, and I was like, oh, so like what happens to everybody else? And then I was like, oh okay, <laughs> but like everyone would have complained had it ended at that point. Like so, hmm. I don't really get the complaints about the multiple ends. I think I don't. I don't think anyone's like has a problem with the multiple endings. It's just kind of funny to poke fun at it. Yeah, it's kind of and it goes on and on and on. <laughs> to go back to Ready Player One again. <laughs> again. It's very easy to poke fun at Ready Player One to say it's like, oh, did you see the moment when SpongeBob and Sonic beat up Smaug from Lord of the Rings? And that like, doesn't happen, though, does it? <laughs> the, the, the thing I would, is, I would, I would watch that. <laughs> the film is ridiculous enough that you'd be like. Does that happen? <laughs> but it's also a good film, so shut up, people. I'd love to do more on Steven Spielberg. I'd, I'd like to rewatch all of Spielberg's films. I, I think I watch rewatch at least two or three of his films every year. Because when, when you think of his filmography, when he goes from Catch Me If You Can to Schindler's List, and then from Jurassic Park to frickin' uh, Lincoln, and... And E.T. to to the War Horse and freaking all these and Saving Private Ryan and all these was he he was Saving Private Ryan wasn't he Yeah yeah okay and he actually made uh, Jurassic World on oh, a Jurassic Park sorry and um, Shannon was this in the same year which is yeah th- when you look at somebody's filmography and you see Jurassic Park and Schindler's List in the same year that is a man of extraordinary ability I even like the Terminal the Terminal's a good film people can I- shut up. I haven't seen the terminal. Um, I think that's the only kind of like big Spielberg picture I haven't seen. Mm, and then you have freaking Tintin, and then he does Bridge of Spies, which is also a good film. Bridge of Spies and the Post, like recently, are really underrated. They were both really good. They're just really competent, solid filmmaking, aren't they? Like, I don't think I've seen a Spielberg film that I did not like at least respect and kind of think, oh yeah, that was good. Like, yeah, I I love him. He's he's he is a genius. He is a man who has given joy to literally everybody. anybody that's like, gone like any any age, somebody can enjoy his work. Yeah, like I mean, I took my little sister last summer to see um, Jaws. Loved it. I have to see the BFG actually. I I oh actually I have not seen it either. Yeah, which is but again. Got, it, I think that got kind of average reviews when it came out as well. But I like the idea of him going back to like wonder and fantasy. I just mm. he's he's good at that. Well, I, I think his next two films are 
What's his next two fights? He's doing Indiana Jones 5. Which I'm kind of like, I know people kind of dump on Indiana Jones 4. It's kind of dumb. <clears throat> but I'm, I'm excited for 5. Well, that's the thing. I think Spielberg is a director who takes on criticism and stuff from his films. And Harrison Ford's been on a really good run lately. He's actually um, trying. Like, I, I would like to see a younger Indiana Jones because I don't know where to go with the story now. But I'm, I'm actually kind of looking forward to it. Just hopefully not Shia LaBeouf. I don't think Shia LaBeouf is that bad in hacking them with a crystal skull. He's fine, but I just don't like Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> I, think, I think the other film Spielberg is doing is actually a remake of West Side Story, so a musical. Oh, he's, has he ever done a musical? He's never done a musical, but I think... Remember what was the opening scene of uh, Temple of Doom? Mm. When Indiana Jones is in uh, the kind of the, the Japanese restaurant, and it's kind of like a little mini show on but um, he's, he's dived into er- nearly every genre and, he, and he's been like perfect at it and let me point out Pinky and the Brain Animaniacs all that fun stuff he was executive producer behind so he's good with me yeah he, ha- he has his hands in some even the Transformers series I think that's his only kind of like negative is that he's kind of crowdfunded the, the Transformers series to mm. keep going that is Lord of the Rings Two Towers it's a good film you should watch it definitely yeah. Do you have anything to plug before we go? Um, no. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can follow me at CRSFanX. But that's kind of it. Yeah. Follow him on Twitter, people. That is the show for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to James for coming on. Next week we'll talk about something, probably, maybe next week. Who knows? You can listen to episodes of Podcast a Week infrequently at soundcloud.com forward slash TWSKK or by subscribing to the TWS Network on iTunes. Follow me on Twitter at Garrett Kidney, G-A-O-R-E-T-T-K-I-D-N-E-Y. That's my name. Thanks for listening, and bye-bye.